Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. Let me just ask you this. Why is it, maybe you've never thought of this before, but why is it hard to do what's right, even when you want to do what's right? You ever wondered that? Now, if you're, if you're not a Christian, this is probably true for you. But for all of us Christians, this is true. And I will just say, um, this is part of our hypocrisy, and we admit that up front, okay? It's just hard to do what's right, even when we want to do what's right. And I'll, I'll use the generosity thing as an example. Again, there's, this isn't on money, but this is, just, this is so obvious and easy for all of us. So all of us want to be known as generous people, right? We all do. I don't think any of us in here would say, no, you know, I, hope, I hope I become a greedy person. None of us, that's not our goal. We all want to be seen as generous. We all want to become generous people. But have you noticed that, you know, when you're in your teens and, you know, in college and everything, you're like, I, I can't be generous then because I just don't have enough. You know, I barely make any money. I can't be generous then. And then you get out of college and you get your first job and it's like, well, I can't be generous then because I got to pay off my student loans, you know? And then it's, I get married, and it's like, okay, now i got more money and things are coming along, but I can't be generous now because we got to buy a house. We're just getting started with life. And then you have kids, and it's like, okay, I definitely can't be generous right now. And you think it's expensive until your kids become teenagers and start eating like racehorses, and then you're like, I don't even know how we're going to afford groceries at this point, you know? And it's, some of you have been there, right? And it's like, oh, my gosh, I want to be generous, but I just can't be generous then. And then finally the kids get out of the house, and what happens when you get to that stage? When you get to that stage, then you're like, Oh my gosh, I've got to save up. I'm closer to retirement than I realize. I don't think I have enough. I wish I could be more generous, but i got to save up, you know? And then you get retired. Eventually you retire. And at that point, and I've had these conversations with people. Again, I'm not prying into their lives. They just tell me these things. It's weird. It is actually weird. I ran into somebody one day at my kid's school. And, and this is a true story. I said, hey, how you doing? So great to see you. And they said, hey, I just wanted you to know we just set up recurring giving. That was the first thing out of their mouth. And I was like... Okay, well, thank you, but I'm not asking about, you know, it was just people freak out when they see me sometimes. So anyway, I, I promise I'm not trying to be your conscience. You, you don't have to tell me those things. But, but anyway, when people get to retirement, you know what they say? Well, I wish I could be more generous, but I, I'm not sure I'm not going to have enough money to last me until I die. It's just comical because there's always a reason. And when they get to the end, I look back at them and I was like, I will bet you your retirement that you run out of life before you run out of money because that's what happens to people, Right. Think about that for a minute. It's kind of morbid. But anyway, you are. You're going to run out of life before you run out of money. But that's, that's not the point. The point is, have you noticed at every stage, and this is not rational, and if, when I'm up here explaining it, you're going, well, that's not really rational. But we don't think rationally when it comes to doing what's right. The reason it's so hard to do what's right, to do what you want to do, and you know is the right thing to do, is because it's emotional. There are always fears. And this is the point. This is what I want to talk about today. What is underneath all of that? What is underneath all of that is an assumption that, oh my goodness, this is up to me. Oh my gosh, if, if I'm going to make sure, you know, I got to take care of myself. Oh my goodness, if I don't, I mean, nobody else is going to take care of me. I got to take care of me. And so this is up to me. And there is, a, there is an emotional fear of, I've got to handle this. It's not just true with money. Think about it. You, you want to be forgiving, but it's challenging to be forgiving sometimes, isn't it? Because it's like, oh my gosh, this is all up to me. And what if I forgive, but then I'm taking advantage of again? And it's true with patience. You want to be patient. You want to be kind. But isn't it challenging to be patient and kind sometimes? You know why? Well, because you want what you want. 
And patient and kind, you're not convinced patient and kind is always going to get you what you want or get the person to do what you want them to do. And so if you're like me, sometimes you're tempted to be a little impatient. And I would not want to say unkind, but it's probably unkind. You know, it's like, let me push you a little bit. Let me, you know, let's orchestrate this outcome a little bit. Because there is something uh, under the surface in all of us that we don't even recognize. But it is an assumption that, well, my future is up to me. I've got to make sure these things happen. Or not everything's going to be good. Which, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be thinking, that's so hypocritical of you Christians. And you're right. It is, because we claim, oh, God's in control, and God's with me, and he's going to take care of me. But we actually don't live as if God is with us. If we were confident God was with us, we wouldn't worry about the outcome of the journey. We wouldn't try to control everything. We wouldn't feel like everything is up to us. It'd be a lot easier to do what's right when we want to do what's right. But the reality is, we're not always sure that if we do what's right, things will work out right for us. And it's why we struggle with this. And then if I can take it a little further, here's the other thing I want you to think about. Isn't it hard to be faithful to God when it feels like God's not being faithful to you? Again, hypocritical of us Christians, we are all guilty, but if you're not a Christian, you should cuss a little slack because after all, it's hard to trust a God you can't see, okay? So you should give us a little credit for at least trying that. But this is true for all of us. You've been in that situation, right, where you were trying your best to love God and to love people and to live the right way, and then life just fell apart anyway. Things didn't work out, and you're like, I don't know if it's worth it. Or you felt like God wanted you to take a step. God wanted you to um, go have that hard conversation. God wanted you to change jobs. God wanted you to give that money. You felt like God wanted you to give your time. You felt like God was you know, nudging you to make this move or start this thing, and you did it. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna, it's so scary, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust God here. And you did it. And things did not get better for you, they got worse for you. And if you were honest, and I'll just say it for everybody because nobody wants to say this out loud, but it is hard, it is hard to be faithful to God when it does not feel like God is being faithful to us. Matter of fact, it doesn't seem logical to keep being faithful to God when it feels like God's not being faithful to us. But we also all know, even though that's a common struggle, we all have watched, we all have seen people who continued to be faithful, didn't we? People who continued to trust God, people who didn't give up, people who didn't walk away, people who didn't say, okay, well, I'm actually going to you know, control my own future and try to manipulate and orchestrate all this. We've watched people do that. What is their secret? How are they able to stay so clear in what they value and keep that aligned with their behaviors? How are they able to keep trusting God even though things aren't getting better, they're getting worse? What is their secret? That's what we're going to talk about today. So we are in week two, if you missed last week, of the life and times of Joe Jacobson. And we are learning the secret to this in the story of a young man, particularly in his life events from the time he was 17 to about the time he was 40. And this is a story of extremes. This is a story of the highs, highs. This guy experienced highs bigger than any of us will ever experience. He experienced lows worse than any of us will ever experience. He felt um, the intoxicating a draw of power in a way that none of us are ever going to experience. It really is a story of extremes. His name is Joseph. He was the son of Jacob, who was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham, who we have all heard of. But the thing I don't want you to forget is none of these guys had the knowledge about God that we have. And this is what makes the story, I think, so extraordinary. I mean, all Abraham knew was his experiences with God and the promises God made to him. 
He didn't have the Old Testament documents, certainly didn't have the New Testament documents, didn't know anything about Jesus and the death and resurrection. I mean, all he knew about God was his limited experiences with God and that God had made some promises to him, promises that Abraham never fully saw fulfilled. And then Isaac comes along. And Isaac gets some experiences with God and has some promises as well. And God says, I got a plan for you too, Isaac. He doesn't see all those promises fulfilled. Then Jacob comes along. Same thing happens. And Joseph's heard all of these stories, but that is all he knows about God. And then, when Joseph's 17 years old, he experiences something that's common to all of us. He experiences family drama. He is the youngest of, at the time, 11 brothers. And Jacob has made Joseph his favorite. He is daddy's boy. And everybody knows he's daddy's boy. He's made it obvious. He's given him this special coat, you know. All the other guys are wearing, you know, hand-me-down coats. And Joseph's got this brand-new expensive coat. You know, everybody knows. Everybody knows. And it creates so much jealousy. It creates so much hatred that when they have their moment, eventually, they decide, we're going to put an end to him. And you may remember, if you were here last week, the story. They decide they're going to kill him. That's how bad it is in their family. Until they realize, no, 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 we can actually fake his death. We can convince our dad he's dead, but we can sell him into slavery and then we'll come out richer for it. So that is what they do. And Joseph goes from being, you know, at the top of the pecking order, so to speak, having everything to having nothing. His world is just wiped out in a moment. And he's dragged across the desert by these Midianite slave traders, sold into slavery to Potiphar. And at that point, and this is important to understand, at that point, the promises that God had made to Joseph seemed a million years away. You see, at the beginning, when he was 17, God had come to Joseph in a dream, and he had basically promised him, one day, I'm going to put you in a position of power where you're going to even rule over your dad, over your brothers. They're all going to bow down to you. And Joseph, at that point, believed, okay, God has a plan for me. He had a plan for Abraham. He had a purpose for Isaac. You know, he had a plan for my dad. He's got a purpose for my life, too. But now, that's a million years away. That, that seems to have been gone. As he's in slavery. And it's at this point in the story that we left off last week as we ran across this really strange statement that the writer adds into it. The writer tells us this, that the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, to which we would all think, oh, okay, so finally God made everything right. He, he righted all the injustices. He frees Joseph, you know, he gets revenge on his brothers. No, no, no. That's not the way it happened. So he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Wait a minute. So the way that God prospered Joseph was he just gave him better uh, quarters in the slave house. Yeah, basically. He just got better slave quarters. That was it. Which brings up the question and the tension and the frustration that we have all felt. Well, shouldn't good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people? Well, maybe that seems right to us, but we all know that's not life. In life, bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. And that's exactly what happens in this story. The writer goes on to tell us that when his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything that he did... Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, in Potiphar's eyes, and he became his attendant. And then look at this. It says, Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything that he owned. Just pause right there. Think about that. He, he, Joseph has tried to do all the right things, and things have gotten worse and worse and worse for him. Meanwhile, God is blessing the guy who is his slave master. 
God is blessing the guy who doesn't even believe in God. And the writer goes on to tell us that from the time he put him in charge of all of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, at this point, if I'm Joseph, I'm saying, hey, God, how about you try something new? How about you bless me because of me and not bless everybody else because of me? How about you, you know, you try to figure out how to do something good in my life. But this is not how life was unfolding for him. Maybe this is not how life is unfolding for you. Maybe this is the situation you're in right now. Where it looks like you're trying to do the right things and things just get worse. You're trying to do the right things and things are becoming more difficult. But you look at people around you who don't seem to be trying to do what's right or don't seem to be trying to remain faithful to God. and Their life looks pretty good. What do you do with that? What do you do with that frustration? How do you deal with that? Now, I'll tell you what's remarkable to me. And I don't want you to miss this. What's remarkable to me is in the middle of that frustration, Joseph did not do what would have been so easy to do. Joseph did not mail it in, give minimal effort. Joseph didn't give in to the appealing lure of choosing irresponsibility because why in the world would you be responsible when... Your slave. Why in the world would you still try to do the best you could when clearly you're not getting rewarded for it? Why wouldn't you try to, at best, escape? Or at minimum, just, you know, okay, I'm going to do what I got to do to get by. Why would you keep giving your absolute best effort? The only reason you would do that, that I can come up with, is if in spite of all of your circumstances, you still somehow believe that God is with you and that he has a plan and a purpose and that he's going to somehow use and redeem everything you're going through for that purpose. I don't know why else you would do it. I don't know why else Joseph would have done it. And so he's responsible. And obviously he rises to the rank, you know, to the top of all the slaves. And Potiphar benefits but not Joseph. The story continues. It tells us the blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had. (laughs) Nothing of Joseph, but everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so, because of that, Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. And Joseph is left with this dilemma with the confusion, with the mystery of what is God up to? Why is he doing this? And why would he bless somebody who doesn't believe in him? And leave me a slave. And you know there were moments where Joseph had to ask himself, is it worth it? I mean, do I want to keep doing what's right? Do I want to keep being faithful? Because it sure doesn't feel like God's being faithful. To me. Now, at this point, you would think, okay, well, at least you've got it decent for a slave. You know, at least he's taken a liking to you and, you know, could be worse. And maybe this is just how the rest of Joseph's story is going to go. But if that would have happened, you know, we would never know who Joseph was. He would have gotten, you know, lost to history. But this is not the end of Joseph's story. And this is what's so fascinating. This is not the rock bottom of Joseph's story. It takes another turn right here. 
Because the writer tells us this. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. I just want to pause right here because you guys have been thinking, I can't relate to Joseph until now. But now you get it, right? You understand exactly what this is. Just turn to a lady near you and say, hey, I'm, no, don't do that. That'd be weird. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that or not. But Joseph, you would think, well, there, there's at least one good thing happening. But no, no, no. This is going to turn out bad for him, okay? So if you don't feel like you're well-built and handsome, it may be to your benefit. Because what the writer tells us is, after a while, Potiphar's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, can we just be realistic for a second, particularly us guys? Okay. If you're in your early 20s, and you've been sold into slavery, and you're in a foreign country, and nobody knows who you are, and life is terrible, and every time you do something good, you get something bad in return, and you find yourself in this situation, think about this. It's not going to end well for Joseph either way. If he sleeps with her, it's eventually going to be found out and it's going to be terrible. If he doesn't sleep with her, it's going to tick her off. It's not going to end well. Either way, it's going to end poorly. If you're a young 20-something guy, what are you going to do at that point? I think we know what most young 20-something guys would do. But that's not what Joseph does. The story tells us that he refused. To which we might all go, okay. Clearly, surely, you didn't refuse because you felt like it would be, you know, offensive to God. What's God doing for you? Why in the world would you refuse? He says, well, I'll tell you, he actually told Potiphar's wife. He says, with me in charge, listen to how he's thinking about all this. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. I feel this trust, I feel this responsibility. You're a slave, Joseph. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm taking this seriously. I'm going to be the best slave Potiphar's ever had. Why would you do that? So why? I feel this responsibility. He goes on. He says, no one's greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you <clears throat> because you are his wife. Have you forgotten? You know, it's like, I don't think this is the right move for either one of us. And then he asks this question. I don't want you to miss this. He looks at her and he says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? To which you know she had to laugh and go, are you kidding me? You're worried about sinning against your God? Your God who clearly is nowhere to be found? Your God who lets you be sold? You're a slave, Joseph. Your God hasn't done anything for you. Why are you worried about your God right now? But again, there's no reason for Joseph to worry about his God unless... He is convinced that in spite of his circumstances, God is still with him. In spite of his circumstances, God still has a plan and a purpose for him. So, the story tells us that though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And after time, this turns out, as you might expect, very poorly for Joseph. One day he's in the house all alone. Master's wife comes in. She makes her appeals again. Apparently she tries to corner him. Joseph takes off. He just runs out of the house, but he leaves his coat, and she is so offended. This is like the last straw for her. She's tired of being turned down and insulted and disgraced by this slave. So she calls in all the servants, her servants. She says, hey, he, he tried to force himself on me. Look, he uh, screamed and he left his coat, you know, and then Potiphar gets back. And she tells Potiphar this big story. 
Potiphar's furious, as you could imagine, and this thing ends just like you would think it would end. Potiphar's like, I'm done with you, Joseph. Doesn't even care to hear his part of the story, just throws Joseph into prison. And then the writer gives us this crazy statement again. Writer tells us that while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. To which if I'm Joseph, I'm going, hey, God, I really appreciate this, but how about at this point you just stop being with me? Because it's not going very well. Being with me has gotten me thrown in a well by my brothers, nearly killed, sold into slavery, and now falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. I have a better idea, God. How about you go be with my brothers? They deserve this whole be with me treatment. You know, I don't want any more of that. But somehow, some way, in the middle of the prison, there was a sense from Joseph, ah, no, everything's going terrible in my life. But God's still with me. And the writer tells us that God showed Joseph kindness and he granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Now, guys, I'm just going to tell you something. If you ever walk up to me and say, Matt, how's it going? And I look back at you and I say, you know what? It's going really well this week. The prison warden and I have hit it off. Okay? That is a sign things are not going well for me. I don't want things to go good between me and the prison warden. I don't even want to know the prison warden, all right? This is not, a, you know, this is not a good thing. It's almost comical. It's like a punchline. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, you can almost predict where this thing is going. It's like, good grief. But Joseph shows up in prison, and guess what he does? He continues to be responsible. He continues to be faithful. He continues to do the next right thing. As a 20-something young man who has a limited knowledge of God, all he can do is hold on to this promise that God gave him when he was 17, that God's going, I have a plan and purpose for you, and I'm going to be with you. And you can almost predict where the story goes from here. It says, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there because, man, this guy's the most extraordinary prisoner I've ever seen. He takes this so seriously, you know? He cleans his cell. When somebody tries to sneak out, he lets me know. It's like, who is this kid? Story goes on. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because, there it is again, the Lord was with Joseph, and he gave him success in whatever he did. Now, we'll pick the story up here next week, and eventually it's going to get better. But I just want to pause here for a minute. And can we all be honest? That if we were in Joseph's shoes, we would have bailed on God a long time ago, wouldn't we? I mean, good grief. We'd have been lying there in our cell, looking up at the ceiling, going, this is not worth it. There is no way you're still with me, God. I don't, it's clear you don't care. I mean, look at everything happening in my life. You would show up and do something for me. But every time I get in a worse situation, God, and I try to be responsible, you do not reward me. You reward all these other people around me. It's the moment we would have bailed on God. But Joseph did not. And I don't want you to miss why. Joseph made a decision not to make choices based on his limited interpretation of his circumstances. Joseph didn't make decisions based on just what he could see and what he could make sense of and what he could understand. Joseph decided to make decisions based on God's promises to him instead, even though they made no sense in his current circumstances. So, I want to circle all the way back around and ask you again the question that I asked you last week. 
What would someone like you do who was confident that God was with them? What would somebody like you do who was absolutely certain that God cared and that he was there and he wasn't going to leave them? Well, he would do what Joseph did. You would do what Joseph did. You would not make your decisions based on your limited perspective and your limited understanding of all the things going on in your life right now. You would actually make your decisions based on the promises that God has made to you. And even if they didn't line up at the moment, and even if it didn't seem to make sense, and even if it seemed like God's promises to you couldn't possibly happen, you would trust that your future was not up to you, that he had total control over it. You would believe, I can actually be patient and kind in this situation. And no matter what that person does, whether they, want, they do what I want them to do or they don't do what I want them to do, I'm not going to push them. I'm, I'm not going to try to manipulate them. I'm not going to try to orchestrate the outcome I want. I'm just going to leave the future in God's hands because he's got a plan for me. He's got a purpose for me, and he'll work all this into my purpose. And when God asks you to you know, give your time to something beyond yourself, you wouldn't go, oh, no, no, I don't have time to do that because i got to take care of me with this, and i got to take care of me with this, and i got to take care of my family. No, no, no. You go, okay, he's with me. I, it, my future is not up to me. So I'm confident if I just do what he asked me to do, he'll take care of everything in the future. He's got a purpose for me. That's what someone like you or someone like me would do who is absolutely confident God was with them. We wouldn't feel the weight and the responsibility of, oh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, it's up to me. Oh, I got to make sure nobody else is going to look out for me. No, no. We would live so confident that God was going to look out for us that we would willingly, even in the most difficult situations like Joseph, we would do what he asked us to do. We wouldn't let our circumstances and situations dictate our choices. If I could put it another way, if you were confident that God was with you, when you don't understand why, you would still submit and apply. When your circumstances confuse you, and when you feel like you've been doing the right things and life's getting harder, not better, when you've been trying to be faithful and God's not feeling very faithful to you, when all the things happening in your life, you're like, what in the world, you know, and you're just so confused and I don't understand how this is going to work out. Even in the middle of all that confusion, if you or if I were confident God was with us, we would still submit to him. And all I mean by that is we would still trust him. We'd do the next right thing. We would apply whatever it is he was asking us to do. We wouldn't walk away. We wouldn't lean away. We wouldn't bail out. So, here's what I want to leave you with this week. Over the next seven days, you are going to have some decisions to make. I don't know what they are. You may not even know what they are yet. But you're going to have some decisions to make, and I'm going to have some decisions to make where we are tempted to let go of what we value and to let go of who we say we trust and make decisions as if it's entirely up to us what happens in our future. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, I get how you feel about that, and I get why you wouldn't trust God, and so you just manage that however you want to. But for those of us who say we follow Jesus, 
Do we actually believe him or not? Our decisions, not our words, not our intentions. We all have great intentions. Our decisions are going to determine whether we trust him or don't trust him. And so, would you make a decision when you have to have that conversation that reflects your belief that God is with you? Would you make a decision when you have to say no to you so you can put somebody else in front of you? Would you make that decision and do what anybody would do who's confident God was with them? When the finances have got you stressed to no end and you just want to figure out how to control it and orchestrate everything, work it all out. Uh -uh. Instead of that, would you just make the decision to do what anyone would do who's confident that God will provide for you? Here's why this is so important. You will not see God in your current circumstances if you're not willing to trust God and his promises and purposes and plans for your life. But if you'll trust him, you'll see him. And when you see him, you'll get to know him better, which will then build a deeper trust in him. Here's what I know. You will never regret, and you can think about your own life, you will never regret the decisions you make based on your confidence that God is with you. But you will never know what you miss if you make decisions as if everything is up to you. Joseph, imagine this. Joseph's story gets better. But Joseph didn't know what hung in the balance of his decision. Joseph didn't know how God's purpose for him was going to play out and what it was going to look like. And he could have missed it all. If he didn't act as if he was confident God was with him as a slave and as a prisoner. I'm just telling you. You don't know what hangs in the balance of your decision either. And if you choose to continue to act as if it's all up to you. You'll never know what you miss. I would suggest. It's worth rolling the dice and trusting God. Trusting that his promises are true. And being confident that he is with you. And after all, if a 20-something-year-old young man with very limited knowledge of God's character and nature could make that choice, what excuse do all of us have knowing what we know about God's love for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus? Why would we not trust and obey? Why would we not submit? And follow. Let me pray for us. Father, it's easy to talk about. It is really hard to do. So would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this? And most importantly, give us the courage to do it. And to follow. To do what anyone would do who is confident that you're with them. Because we want to do what's right. But it is so hard to do it sometimes. <laughs> We want to be faithful, but it's difficult when it doesn't feel like you're being faithful back. So help us to trust you in those moments. Because we don't want to miss the purpose, the plan, the future that you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.